0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Is it that time already? I think it's that time. I think we're ready to rock and roll. Hey, welcome into the program. It is a Friday. It's The Voice of Reason, your millennial general reporting for duty the way we do every single day broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station all over the country, on radio and on TV. Plus, we have a live stream and the podcasting. We are literally everywhere. If you can't find us, then it's something on your end, not on our end, because we are, although I will say we're not technically everywhere because there are social media sites wanting to get rid of us and ban us, which they are on strike number two, ha-ha, with YouTube trying to get rid of us on there, but that's okay. So we have a two-week ban on live streaming, but you can find us on Facebook Live, on Twitter Live, on Twitch.tv Live, on OurFreedomBook.com, also on our website at HoosierReason.com. so you can still hang out with us everywhere, plus the radio and TV stations all over the place. Hey, we got a heck of a show lined up for you today. It's a Friday, so I want to keep it fun. I want to keep it positive. There are some frustrating news bits out there that I will slowly touch on, but at the same time, I think we need to have some good news for the day, which I will do throughout this program. You can also email me, HoosierMediaNetwork at gmail.com. You can send us a message all over our social media at Reason. and thanks for joining us today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour today, a little bit different type of guest on the program, uh, celebrity chef Andrew Gruel. Yeah, I know, celebrity chef. I've always wanted to talk to a celebrity chef, so I'm looking forward to that one. At the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking about, uh, he's the owner of Slapfish, a Uh, Is it a sushi restaurant? Uh, Some kind of seafood restaurant in California. And, of course, on TV doing the celebrity chef thing as well and he'll be joining us to talk about the COVID lockdowns over the last year and how it's affected the restaurant industry. And I know we have a lot of restaurant owners that listen to the program all over the country because I've gotten your emails, and I know some personally as well, and a lot of you listen. So it might be a fun conversation with celebrity chef Andrew Gruel. He'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour live to talk about COVID in the restaurant industry. I want to ask you a question, though. Federalism anybody know what that is Joe Vance but Spet- I mean yesterday was kind of an odd day with Joe Biden as we kind of had to sink down to the basement level with him let's go into the Biden basement. Yeah, we kind of went down that road yesterday, which was uh, somewhat entertaining because he has no clue what he's talking about with Second Amendment issues as he signs an executive order. There is some work behind the scenes, hush-hush, that I'm not allowed to talk about, but I am aware of, that's going on to counter some of that. So once that goes public, then I can talk about that a little bit later as well. But right now it's kind of hush-hush as they're working on fighting. But federalism obviously he does not know the constitution you cannot just take away second amendment rights and with firearms and firearm accessories you cannot do that based on just an executive order of ha ha use my pen now you have no rights to be able to buy some type of stabilizer for your firearm you can't do that you can't do that that is unconstitutional and it's stupid if you believe that we can do something like that so we went down the rabbit hole with Joe Biden yesterday And I was a little frustrated. And I kind of took the more serious approach to debunking it, which I don't know why I did that, because it's such a laughable thing that, you know, sometimes you have to sit back and you have to just chuckle at the dumbness from the other side of the aisle with what they try to implement and what they try to ram through. Now, as you can notice, that we have a lot of really serious issues that they are just railing on one after the other, after the other, after the other. And they're not stopping right now. We have the COVID bill that they passed, boom, right off the bat. We have an extension of unemployment benefits, boom, right off the bat. We have the universal basic income they're trying to do with a child tax credit, boom, right off the bat. We have now a $3 trillion infrastructure plan that's pretty much just Green New Deal garbage and environmentalism, boom, right off the bat. The first, this is all first two months of the Joe Biden administration, three months, two and a half months of the Joe Biden administration. Immigration crisis, we didn't even try a week with that one, and bam, they're right there. We have now taxes that are trying to increase on corporate tax rates in the nation. Then they attack the guns. They're trying to change the voter laws with H.R. 1. They are literally going after everything they possibly can. Now we hear the story about them going after the expansion of the Supreme Court. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, and we'll get to that in just a minute. They're really taking the Donald Trump approach to this, which we'll get into probably in the next segment. But with all of that going on, My question to you is, is federalism working? Is it really working? Because I think it is. We're in the heart of it, so we don't necessarily recognize it. It's happening before our eyes, so we don't necessarily see it. But we need to be aware of it. Now, for those of you that don't know, Andy, what's federalism? I'll explain to you. Which, by the way, definitions on the interweb, A little bit different compared to what you look at. And for those in my generation, the millennials and younger, and maybe even some a little bit older, that use Wikipedia as your source for definitions, please stop. Just please stop because that's not a credible source at all. At least when I was in college, you were not allowed to use Wikipedia as a source for a site to source any of your information if you wrote an article for a college paper. You were not allowed to use Wikipedia. They told me in my English class, and I only took one because I didn't like it. And they said, Andy, you are not, they told the class, you are not allowed to use Wikipedia as a source of reference when writing an article or writing a piece and you have to show your references at the end of your paper on where you got your information. Wikipedia is not credible. Why is that, Andy? Well, because anybody can go onto Wikipedia and you can hit the edit button on any page and you can change the content in it. Anybody can do that. Go to Wikipedia right now and try it. I dare you. See what happens if you do that to, oh, I don't know, Joe Biden's page on Wikipedia or something. See what end up, that would be creative to see what actually pops up on the Joe Biden Wikipedia page after conservatives go and redefine what he's all about. Ha! See, we could do something like that. We could have some fun. But a lot of my generation uses Wikipedia as their source. We've had the discussion about the redefinition, the redefining of what socialism was. They reference Wikipedia. We're like, No, you can't use Wikipedia. Yes, I can. According to Wikipedia, this is just by example, federalism is a mixed compound mode of government that combines a general government, the central or federal government, with regional governments in a single political system. Not a bad definition, kind of waters it down a little bit. Here's the definition from, from the law department at Cornell University. Federalism is a system of government in which the same territory is controlled by two levels of government. Generally, an overarching national government is responsible for broader governance of larger territorial areas with the smaller subdivisions, state and city governments uh, that issue the local concerns. A little bit more definition. Now, if I was a parent wanting to teach a child on what federalism was, I would probably use that one because it defines it a little bit better and it sounds a little bit more professional. The federalism one is like, hey, which I don't like, but to each their own, I guess. Regardless, is federalism working? We have the federal government and the state governments, and they're duking it out for the power grab as of right now, and it's been going on for a while. But the centralized establishment, big government, utopian types that really like the centralized power, they're trying desperately to take away as much power as they possibly can. So I'm here to tell you today on a Friday as we kind of wrap up our week that I think at least we have good news. I think at least that we have a positive story to report because let's run through the items that Joe Biden and the federal government have really tried to go after in the first three months of his administration and what's going on across the nation. We have, right off the bat, we have uh, the Second Amendment issue from what happened yesterday, trying to sign an executive order. Do you realize how many states right now have tried to sign or tried to pass Second, uh, Second Amendment sanctuary laws saying that outside of the Second Amendment, meaning that you have the right to keep and bear arms and it shall not be infringed, end of story, period, that we're going to protect rights. And whatever federal government laws may come out, you're not allowed to do that. Here in Kansas, we have the Second Amendment Protection Act. Not necessarily the biggest and best enforceable law, but they still have it. We've done it for a very long time. Missouri right now, according to Fox 4 out of Kansas City, Missouri Republican lawmakers vow to defend Second Amendment rights after President Biden's gun order as they try to pass their Second Amendment sanctuary laws. Texas has done the same thing. Arizona and New Mexico working on same laws. Uh, Florida working on the same thing. They can try to pass an executive order, but number one, it's not enforceable because Congress didn't pass it. And even if Congress does pass something, the states are saying, mm-mm, ain't going to fly, we're going to do our own thing, we're going to protect it, so that way that's null and void, the nullifying process at the statewide level that we've tried to push so hard. Here's another one for you. Remember the Equality Act that Joe Biden signed just a week or so ago about transgenders being allowed to be participate in women's sports, go into the locker rooms, yada, 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 because we're trying to appeal and pander Till the LGBTQ community. Numerous states, including here in the state of Kansas, are headlined today. Uh, Kansas lawmakers likely to pass a bill on transgender athletes banning transgender athletes from performing and uh, participating in women's and girls' sports in high school because, you know, the whole evil feminist thing saying that women should have the right to be able to perform, set their own records, and have opportunity for scholarships without guys coming in and kind of disrupting that process. Other states have done the same thing immigration. Texas now working on law enforcement to be able to enforce the borders at their own level with law enforcement and the state national guard because the federal government won't enforce the laws that need to be in that bay of what's going on at the border. Texas putting it into their own hands. Now that's one issue unfortunately that shouldn't be handled at the statewide level because the federal government's supposed to be handling immigration at the federal level but they're not. And it's obvious with the federal capacities of 7, 8, 900% capacity at some of these facilities that the state has to take matters into their own hands. Remember during the Barack Obama reign when numerous amount of states said, "Uh uh-oh, we're not going to take refugees as Barack Obama was bringing in massive amounts of refugees. And they signed laws saying, nope, not allowed to do that. Let's take the issue of voting, H.R. 1, as Congress works to try and centralize the voting systems and the voting laws, states all around the nation right now are working on their own voting laws to try and tighten up the system to make sure there's not any fraud going on. We have the issue out of Georgia right now, which is why the Major League Baseball MLB ended up moving out of the states for one stupid reason or another. We have Georgia looking at, uh, at voting laws. We have Michigan. We have Wisconsin. We have Kansas. We have Colorado. We have California. All these states are looking at their own statewide election laws on what to do while the federal government's looking at H.R. 1. Let's look at the tax issue. We have the state of New York right now that's wanting to put on a 52% combined income tax rate for the quote-unquote ultra-rich. Now there's a massive flood of rich people trying to leave the state of er, uh, New York City right now and leave New York City and the state of New York, which, by the way, would top the highest tax rate in the nation, even higher than California. We already have the experiment going on at the statewide level. You don't need to raise income taxes at the federal level. The state's doing it for you. And look at that experiment and how well it's actually working for you. You're trying to push the highest tax rate in the nation. And what's happening is all the people with all the money that were paying all the taxes already are now trying to leave the, or leave the state. As New York City's ultra-high earners will soon have to pay a top marginal income tax rate of nearly 52%, the highest personal income tax to hit the U.S., We're doing it at the statewide levels, good and bad. But again, that's the beauty of the states is if you don't like what the state's doing, you can either change it within your state or you can move to a state that you more uh, follow and you more agree with and more falls in line with your ideas and politics. I will not move to California. I will not move to New York because of these ridiculously high taxes and ridiculously high regulations. I would not do that. I have enough taxes here in the state of Kansas and the city of Wichita. Thank you very much. I would not move to those other places. But federalism... Whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not, federalism is at play right now. We are in the heart of it. The question is, who's going to prevail? And while we educate ourselves on the federalism process, we can see who's going to prevail, whether the federal government does consume the power and the states fall short, or whether these states end up holding their own and we prevail at the end of the day. That's going to be the big question. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. you're listening to the voice of reason with andy Hoosier. darn right you are 24 minutes past the hour thanks for hanging out with us here on the voice of reason with the hoosier media network radio and tv plus live streaming podcasting hoosierreason.com is the website you can also find us really all over our social media as well. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time comment on social media why aren't republicans filing lawsuits all over the place the democrats would you're absolutely right democrats would and republicans are to some degree there are two reasons why we're not hearing about it number one we're just not being told about it by the media because the media does not want people knowing that there is a challenge to the authorita of the democrats controlling things once democrats say it then by golly it is the truth and fact and we just need to accept it Number one, so there are. The other point is is that there's probably not nearly as many as Democrats would because we understand the court system for the longest time has been hijacked by the activist judges on the left side of the aisle, not interpreting constitutional law on what it is, but what they want it to be. And therefore, by challenging something and taking it to court, we need to do that on many occasions. But if they rule against us, then that's one notch and makes it even that more difficult because the next time we challenge it, Then we go up there and they say, well, according to this reference and this law and this hearing before in this case, in this court case, they ruled this way. And therefore, we have more substantial evidence on the other side of the aisle. And it makes it more difficult. Every time that we get ruled against is another notch that we have to fight later on because it makes it that much more difficult. Because, well, by golly, they interpreted the rule that way that time and they made that decision. Therefore, it needs to stand that way. So it makes it way more difficult. Now, but we are. We are challenging legal systems. We are challenging the courts. We are challenging uh, in court and trying to actually bring back constitutionalism. The good part is that Donald Trump worked very hard to put federal judges all over the nation to actually make things handle, be handled the proper way. It's just whether they abide by those rules or not, and they interpret the Constitution the proper way or not as well. So we are, but it's very difficult, and the media doesn't like to talk about it, because how dare you challenge a rule from the Democrats? They're there to help you they're there to take care of you. Why would you try and challenge? They just want to take care of you and do the right thing for you. And the media then just doesn't want to cover any of that stuff. Speaking of the courts, by the way, here's the latest out of what's trending today. What's trending today? So I don't know if you heard or not. We, again, we knew what was coming yesterday. We knew what was coming with the Second Amendment. We knew what they were doing. We knew that they uh, that they were going to try and push the Second Amendment issue. They knew it, and we knew it. Now, again, this one, we knew that Biden unveiled the commission to study possible expansion of the Supreme Court. We knew it. We knew it was going to come. They talked about it. He completely dodged the question during the presidential race. Hey, would you expand the Supreme Court from nine judges to 15 judges? Well, you know what? I'm not just not going to say anything. I know that's a Bill Clinton thing. But, hey, still, Joe Biden doesn't remember what he's talking about. And he completely dodged the question. And they let him off on it. But yet we knew they were going to address it. They've attacked. Look, there's one negative that Donald Trump was in office for. There's one negative that happened. Others say that there was a lot, but there's at least one. And that was the fact that he was a type A personality that when he wanted to get something done, by golly, he got it done. He did it. When he wanted something done, he was a business guy. He was a type A personality. He would sleep two, three hours a night. He was ready to get stuff done, and he wanted it done right now. And if you weren't willing to do that, then he would get somebody else that would because he wanted action. That's led to kind of a speeding up of the... Uh, whole federal government agenda on when people want to push an agenda. Before, politicians would really want one or two major things that they would be known as a legacy for before they got out of office. They would usually structure a 10-year plan on something before they even would not be in office any longer. So if it didn't happen, well, they just, you know, the, the other side stopped it or wouldn't allow it. But now we're expediting things, and I think it's somewhat because of Donald Trump. We have Joe Biden that's now tried to push immigration reform, higher taxes, gun confiscation, Equality Act with the transgender issue, the the election thing with centralized elections, and now wanting to expand the courts. All of that within the first three months of his administration. He's probably got the mojo because he's scared to death of someone like Donald Trump coming back into office. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. i got to say, the show goes by way too fast. We are by far, and I don't care what anybody else says, we are by far the fastest hour of radio on radio, all over the place. Radio, and we have the TV plus the live stream and podcasting as well, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation, one radio listener at a time. We are on social media, live streaming on Facebook, not on YouTube, because we're on strike number dose with YouTube not liking us there that's okay also on twitch.tv and ourfreedombook.com and on the website at reason.com. thanks for joining us wherever you may be however you may be listening or watching we appreciate you very very much we'll get back into our conversation with the expansion of supreme court and that committee gee i wonder who he put on that one uh with joe biden we'll get to that in just a minute but i want to shift gears and have a little bit of fun it's a friday and i am super excited about our next guest What's trending today? So, as you know, COVID's hit a lot of industries over the last year. And my question is, is how are some of the industries faring? The Really, the industries that I hear the most about in the media is the restaurants, nightclubs, bars, because they've limited the capacities. They've even had to shut doors quite a bit. You can only have a certain amount of people. And then, of course, I see the stupid little masks where you wear it over your nose while you're trying to eat. and I'm wondering how well that's going. On. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, I thought we'd bring in an expert to talk about some of this, as, you know, he's kind of a big deal. I'm excited. He is, uh, you've seen him on Food Network, which one of my indulgences, of course, watching Food Network, because that's just awesome. He's an American chef, also TV personality, and founder, CEO, of and executive chef of Slapfish, the seafood restaurant out of uh, Huntington Beach, California. We're excited to have on here Chef Andrew Gruel with us. Chef, how are you, my friend?
1: Hey, I'm doing well, And look, two strikes on uh, YouTube, I kind of feel like I'm in the naughty zone right
0: now. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, here's the weird part. They have different categories, apparently, of violations from their community standards. And all I said, and we had an immunologist on the show a couple of days ago talking about this. All I said was that there were other ways to help combat COVID rather than being scared and wearing a mask and then being forced to get a vaccine. That's all I said. And that apparently was medical misinformation and broke their policies. And we got two strikes on that one.
1: Well, I totally understand. And just for full disclosure, I'm wearing a complete body condom right now.
0: (laughs) Well, there is that. There is that. So, hey, you know, I'm sure you're quite protected and you don't have to worry about a thing, right? You got it <laughs> i love it well i appreciate you coming on here the the restaurant industry i've seen so many all over the nation from what i hear and with emails from listeners all over the place about restaurants that have tried to adapt that have tried to survive during this last year uh, but being in california i can only imagine what you've had to go through talk about your restaurants and your business and how things have actually fared out there in california
1: Well, I'm a bit behind enemy walls right now. However, because we are a fast casual and we're loud, we bang the drum and we try and attract as many supporters as we can. we've been able to survive through the pandemic, not all of our restaurants, my wife and I did lose one of our other concepts Mm. that unfortunately was shut down immediately. Um, as they, as they forced the closures upon all businesses, but, um, you know, it's been difficult. We're obviously running on tight margins. And in the absence of any real revenue, um, this whole pivot to third party delivery is a farce when they take 30 cents on every dollar. So that's not going to save us. And all of these government programs have been, as we expected, um, you know, a lot of a lot of pomp, but not 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 much substance. So we're just we're just doing what we can to bootstrap
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I wanted to ask about those government programs because they say that was the focal point was for restaurants, bars, nightclubs that had to shut doors, that couldn't hire on a whole lot of people, that we had to limit capacity. I mean, did restaurants actually see that money or did it really was just kind of the talking points when it went to the local health department to decide where they were going to distribute it?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because my my biggest gripe has always been that these, this money, when it goes into these government agencies, only if you are lucky, 10% of it comes out, right? It goes through, it's like mayonnaise from cup to cup, <laughs> sticks to the side of the walls. Um, and we, you know, the formulas that they use, of course, because they try and simplify it. Let's say, for example, you are a restaurant and now for the second round of PPP, they say, well, it's it's the difference between 2019 revenue and 2020 revenue. Well, if your 2020 revenue is flat or, uh, or you know isn't down a ton because you've used these third-party delivery apps, but your net is at a negative 25% as opposed to it being up 5% because, once again, they take 30 cents on every dollar, well, then you've lost a ton of money, but you're not going to get any PPP funding. So, so there's a lot of flaws in the formulas. And what I've seen, I just got off the phone today with an owner operator who had to immediately let his staff go because he couldn't actually, he didn't have cash flow to pay them. So he was running his own business. And because of that, he was not able to get PPP funding because he didn't have the payroll to peg it against.
0: Good golly. What a mess. It's absolutely a mess. Now we see cases beginning to rise across the nation. Again, they're saying with these new variants, I don't know whether it's legit or not. I don't know whether it's just the scare. I don't, I don't know what's going on. We're trying to open things back up. There's many states uh, that are trying to reopen. Uh, Texas, or Florida never really shut down. Texas is fully reopening. Kansas we're slowly reopening. Missouri is opening. I mean, all over the place, we're trying to get there. What's California look like? Is there a concern of another outbreak and another shutdown? Are you guys slowly getting reopened? What's the state out there?
1: Yeah, we are slowly getting reopened. A lot of the speculation is that that's a result of Newsom's, um, you know, the, the, the foot being on his neck by virtue of the recall. So a lot of people are mad that he's even opening things back up. We're at 50 percent indoor capacity right now in the restaurant space. But I think it's important to mention that regardless of the variance and regardless of whether the cases are spiking or not, I think the one thing that we have seen through this, when you look at the numbers and you actually pull the layers away, is that When you shut down restaurants, specifically, or retail for that matter, you're forcing people into their homes, into backyards, and into unaccountable behavior, uh, and cases go up. When they shut down outdoor dining in California, two weeks later, cases tripled. We need public meeting places where there is accountability, because I'll tell you right now, in your backyard, you're not socially distancing. You're not wearing masks, and using their logic, those are the things that are stopping the spread. So why not have it happen in a public place where people can be accountable for it?
0: And actually allow businesses to survive and business owners to be able to put food on their table at home and support. Oh, what a crazy concept. It's a great point that we've never really looked at it that way. I mean, they kept, at least here in the Mid-America region, they kept liquor stores as essential businesses, but you couldn't go to the bar. So I've I've heard of numerous individuals that just went and bought a whole bunch of liquor and went home and built their own bar and then had their buddies over for the parties and for the games and whatever they wanted to do. And uh, you're right, there's there's no accountability there, and it didn't stop the spread in any way, shape, or form. It just didn't make sense to me.
1: Of course and what do you learn in kind of policy 101 you learn about trade offs right unintended or in some cases intended consequences of policy well one of the you know severe consequences of all of these lockdowns have been exactly what you just described is that you're forcing people into black market behavior that is going to be more risky and more dangerous than had you just allowed things to remain open
0: Yeah we're talking with chef Andrew Gurel you can find him online chef gurel that's g r u e l.com you can find him uh, American chef and tv personality Let's talk about the adaptation of restaurants uh, for a minute with, uh, I mean, trying to go online to do the order and the, and the drive-up takeout kind of stuff. I was at one restaurant recently. I'm not going to mention the name of it, but it kind of bugged me because I guess they went completely away from all hand menus at the table to where you had to download the QR thing and then be able to look at the menu online online. I, I mean, I, I don't like technology. I don't use a QR barcode thing. It took me forever to even look at the menu, and I didn't like that. I mean, is that the direction we're going? And do you think that stuff's going to stay now, even with things beginning to open up and people going back in person?
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of elements that remain in place from these changes, right? Let's even use the hotel industry as an example. So what I found funny as I traveled throughout the pandemic was, of course, no housekeeping services and all the amenities that you pay for at a hotel were removed because of COVID. But you you still pay the same price, right? So these things aren't going to come back without a cost. And the same can go for restaurants. You're not going to hand out and print menus, which already is a high cost for most restaurants. Now it's going to just force people into this digital world, which in many cases, similar to the QR code, is somewhat inconvenient. Um, But we're going to continue using COVID as the excuse so that people can cut corners because right now, with the rate at which inflation is going to go up with priming and printing money, who knows what's going to happen with our economy.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, the adaptation is going to be interesting to see down the future because you're right. There are some positives to a forced adaptation, but then if they try and stick with some of it that's not good, then it could harm them uh, in the long run as well. Moving forward, I mean, you guys are starting to open up in, in California. Are you seeing the response from consumers, from people wanting to go to our restaurant? Are people anxious to get back out there or are they kind of hesitant right now?
1: It's a little bit of both. So you've got people now who otherwise would go out to eat once a week or going out three or four times a week. It's like they're making up for it, right? They're just really amped about going out. Now, some of that might have something to do with the stimulus money that came in. So we'll see what happens in a few months when that money goes away. But then on the other side of the consumer mentality, you've got people who are genuinely afraid. And especially when it comes to restaurants, because we've been vilified as these areas or vectors of spread, if you will. (laughs) When quite frankly, that's not been the case. So people are afraid to go to restaurants. It's as if you're walking into a, you know a dirty hospital and you're like, "Oh my God, I'm going to get something." restaurants are falling in that category or that class of public meeting space
0: oh that bugs the heck out of me i don't know how you survive in california with uh, all the craziness that goes around out there i give you mass props for for something like that we got just about a minute left before we got to let you go uh chef andrew gruel but you own a seafood restaurant now you would laugh at me if i tried to cook you a, a seafood meal because i'm terrible at seafood uh mine consists of like i although i can cook some good shrimp but your favorite seafood meal to cook at your restaurant what do you like to do
1: Um, I would say one of my favorites is just a simple salmon BLT, right? You get the beautiful world of bacon with some nice, fat, juicy tomatoes, a little fresh lettuce, and a nice, uh, you know, omega-3-packed piece of salmon, gently roasted.
0: I am all for that. I will. uh, All right. Well, my next trip is going to be to California to try your seafood restaurant because I'm super excited. Chef Andrew Gruel. You can find him online, chefgruel.com. Chef, I appreciate the time very much, my friend. Keep up the fight there in California and bring some sense out there. What do you say?
1: Hey, thank you. We'll do it
0: together. Hey, absolutely. Always a good time. We'll get you back on the program again here real soon. Pretty awesome. Uh, all right, well, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit, wrap up the show for a Friday today. When we come back, misinformation on the vaccinations. Where are we at with the discussion on vaccinations? Uh, have you heard misinformation? We've been accused here on the show of spreading misinformation about vaccinations on some online discussions. So we'll get into that a little bit, what you know about them, what's really the facts of what goes on and We'll kind of have some fun with that one as well. Plus, the legacy. We'll look at some of the legacy of the past administrations over the last few years and what Joe Biden plus Donald Trump could be known for moving forward. With Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier with the Voice of Reason. Fighting for conservative principles seems more difficult all the time. The progressive left seems to find new and creative ways to limit freedom, abuse power, and trample the Constitution each and every day. That's why we need the knowledge, resources, and common sense to push back, and we can help with that. Visit our website at whosyourreason.com. There's some really great stuff for you. You can read the latest blog discussing topical issues and current events. Let us know your thoughts by filling out our monthly survey. Keep track of what I might be doing or where I may be speaking. Listen to the podcast of your favorite guest or show. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today, radio and TV, plus the live streaming. More entertaining than watching Joe Biden walk up a flight of stairs here on the show, the way we do each and every single day. Thanks again to Chef Andrew Grill coming on the program. I enjoyed that very much. I wish we had more time to just talk about the food stuff, because that would be a blast one of these days we'll just have some fun and just let go of the politics and do something else crazy for a day maybe i don't know one of these days we'll do that but today there's too much stuff going on gotta try and cover all we can here on the show which is what we do so welcome in and thanks for joining us with all of that by the way there is some big news i'm trying to let me see if i can bring that back up here real quick there was i guess a disaster ish there was on a Caribbean island, there was an explosion of a volcanic rock. So, a volcano erupted on one of the Caribbean islands, thousands of people being evacuated, a five mile high level of ash up in the sky. So, that's crazy. Um, don't know any details on that yet. I just saw the headline pop up. So, we'll keep you apprised as that's kind of going on. But, hope everyone's all right there. Holy cow, that's a little bit scary. As we talk about, real quickly, the story from Joe Biden unveiling a commission to study possible expansion of the U.S. Supreme Court. We knew it was going to happen. We knew that's what they wanted to do because he didn't say anything about it. He tried to keep it hush-hush during the election. So we knew by default that he was going to push that at some point in the administration. Now, as I mentioned, Donald Trump really lit something in Washington, D.C. The go-getter, the yes-you-can and the let's-get-as-much-done-as-we-possibly-can in the short amount of time. Now, Democrats have an opportunity here because they have essentially both chambers of Congress and the presidency to ram through whatever they want. The one holdup is the fact that Democrats don't have a obvious majority in the Senate. They kind of do, but kind of don't. At the same time, the courts could potentially come back and say, uh-uh, what you're doing is unconstitutional, and they don't like that. Which, of course, just reinforces the idea that what they were going to do was try and expand the Supreme Court to have 15 judges instead of nine, put all a bunch of liberal activist judges on there, and then be able to ram through whatever the heck they want to because then they have activists saying, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, very good, very good. And you knew what was coming. I didn't know it was going to come this fast, but we knew it was going to happen. As we mentioned, they've really crammed three months uh, of really 10 years of work into three months already under the Biden administration between trying to push for high taxes, the Green New Deal environmentalism, trying to take guns away, trying to centralize elections, trying to goes on down the road. Usually, under an administration, you're known for, you try to do a lot, but it gets stalled, you take your time, you do your thing... You just go with the flow, and you set out a 10-year plan. So if you even if you get elected twice, it still doesn't get done under your whole administration. And then you're like, well, you know, the next administration just stopped it because it wasn't a priority to them. That's usually how it works. And you usually get one or two landmark pieces of legislation that really drive you home and really like set your legacy of who you were as president of the United States. So my question to you is, what does each president have that was a legacy for them over really the last couple of administrations donald trump kind of an interesting one we had immigration that was a big focus he really boosted the economy and of course covid it was the year of covid with donald trump now the media tried to say he handled it horribly i completely defer that one per prime example donald trump two million people are expected to die from this what are you going to do about it a year later, when he leaves office, just under 500,000 people actually had died from it. So essentially, Donald Trump saved one and a half million people. The media doesn't like that. The left-wingers don't like that. But that's just the reality of the situation. Let's go back a little bit prior the Barack Obama administration. We had Obamacare. The water rights. Remember that one? The water, uh, the, the new water rule or whatever that was, where if it rained really, really heavy in your backyard or in your field as a farmer, or if you have a large piece of property and it rained and you had a pile of water and a puddle of water, that was considered now, quote, a navigable water, and the federal government got to control what you did with that body of water. Remember that one? Yeah, that was a great piece of legislation there, buddy. And then, of course, taxes. Obamacare. Water rights, taxes, kind of what sticks out to me when I think of Barack Obama's administration. Let's go back a little bit further. George W. Bush, he created the Department of Homeland Security, and we had our conflict with Iraq, and we had 9-11. Kind of the issues that come to mind when I think of George W. Bush. Let's go back a little bit further. When we had Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, we pretty much had Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> See what we did there? That was about the extent of his administration and the successes of Bill Clinton. Way to go, guy. All right. (laughs) That was about the extent of what happened just a few years ago. Thinking about their legacies, what's Joe Biden's legacy going to be? Because he's already tried to cram way too much into his administration. Whether it happens or not is going to be the telltale sign. And maybe federalism could prevail and the states stop him, which could be his legacy of a failed president where the states stood up and said, "Uh uh-uh. We're not going to allow this. That does it for us today. Podcast up in a little bit. Back at it next week. Make sure to stay tuned in. Until then, be your own voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier. While you listen to the delightful broadcast of The Voice of Reason, don't forget to check us out and follow us on all of our social media sites. Whether you're using Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Minds.com, or Instagram,